I'm Tom Morello, host of Maximum Firepower, a weekly podcast focusing on the music, the moments, and the movements that have shaped my worldview and left an indelible mark on me as an artist and activist. Correct with Maximum Firepower. You and me. This is Tom Morello's Maximum Firepower. I'm Tom Morello, and you're listening to Maximum Firepower, my podcast here. My uh, guest today is Mary Morello, my mom, the 98-year-old matriarch of the Morello family, sitting in her living room right now. How are you, Mom? I am fine, thank you. I'm glad to hear. Uh, so on Maximum Firepower, what we've been doing is kind of doing top 10 lists or like top five lists. So my mom, at 98 years old, she a retired public high school teacher from suburban Illinois, remains the most radical and the most popular member of the Morello family. Uh, she co-hosts my one-man revolution show on Sirius XM Lithium and is renowned for her legendary onstage introductions of my various bands through the years. Uh, after my mom's standard intro... Mom, do you want to say your standard intro? Please welcome the best fucking band in the universe. <laughs> yes, that's it. Uh, now, she would often get on stage in, in my various incarnations. My mom's very supportive, so whatever band I'm in, she believes is the best fucking band in the universe. That after one such introduction, one fan said, she was a little old lady, but she was so damn cool and made me proud to start circling that mosh pit as she walked off stage to the sound of wailing sirens. It was like a general signaling the start of a war. To this day, I hear from her former students. Many say she was the most important educator in their lives and pushed them to see beyond the borders of our conservative, homogenous suburb. She helped them to learn and to care and to advocate for people less fortunate, people oppressed by race and class, from Cabrini Green in Chicago to the migrant fields of California. Uh, the first time that, Mom, that you ever introduced me to activism was when we were supporting Cesar Chavez grape boycott. And I remember I loved grapes, and we went to the grocery store, and you said, we cannot buy grapes because it's going to help farm workers in California. And I thought, how can we, as suburbanites in Illinois, help them? And you explained it to me. It was a lesson I never forgot. I forgot it, too. <laughs> I said, it's a lesson I never forgot. Well, I'm glad you didn't forget it. Well, that's good. Uh, my mom never took crap from anyone, but as a teacher, she taught with humor and acceptance, inspiring generations of students, uh, which is not surprising, given her history. In the 1930s, she helped feed hobos during the Great Depression and supported the coal miners' struggle to organize. In the 40s, she helped raise war bonds to defeat the fascists in World War II. In the 50s, she taught international students at Northern Illinois University and opposed racist Jim Crow laws. And as a single woman with modest means, she has traveled to over 60 countries. We'll get to that later. In the 1960s, she aided anti-colonial movements while living in Africa. In the 70s, she was a radical teacher in a conservative high school, inspiring students to challenge the system, and aided United Farm Workers and the Urban League. In the 80s, she went on nine peace missions to the Soviet Union and to Cuba. In the 1990s, she opposed the Persian Gulf War and founded an international organization to oppose music censorship called Parents for Rock and Rap, which landed her on Oprah and CNN. In the 2000s, she helped homeless people and recovering addicts get their high school diplomas at the Salvation Army in Waukegan, Illinois, and marched in Chicago against wars for oil. In the 2010s, she volunteered at local soup kitchens here in L.A., and to this day, she works with Doctors Without Borders and Mideast Peace Organizations. Bono occasionally calls her up for advice. Mom, you talk to Bono a couple times a year, right? Yes. 
and he calls up and asks for advice. You guys talk about Syria or something like that, right? Right. I remember one time it was your birthday and I was away on tour and you were, <laughs> I, I called you up and I'm like, who called you on your birthday? And gave me uh, this one and this relative and this friend and this, that, and the other. And, like, and there was this one guy who called, I don't remember who was, he had an accent, but we talked a long time about Syria and we disagreed about a few things. And I t- I'm like, who's that? And she's like, I don't remember his name, but I know I know him, but what, I don't remember his name. So, but we had a long talk about Syria. <laughs> and then the next day I got a text from Bon. was like, I called your mom to wish her happy birthday yesterday. And man, she just gave me an earful about Syria. She's a trip. I guess so. <laughs> My mom is fiercely independent. And when I offer a son's helpful advice about diet, exercise, or pet care, her response is invariably, I'm going to do what I want to do, but thank you. Isn't that right, Mom? Yes. She's also a kindly and loving grandparent, but she remains an unrepentant revolutionary in thought and deed. In 1986, she undertook perhaps the most radical position a parent can take, allowing her child, equipped with an Ivy League degree, to leave for Hollywood to live in a squat with the aim of playing heavy metal music and fomenting dissent. I want you to be happy and have a good life was her only advice. My mom's the greatest, and to this day, I still practice in her basement. Isn't that right, Mom? Yes. And you occasionally provide editorial comment about the music that I'm making. Yes. <laughs> it is an unvarnished editorial comment, I assure you. That's true. Okay, but what we're going to do today is we're going to talk about five of the favorite places that you visit. As I said, my mom is a single woman with very, very modest means, uh, left the small town of Marseilles, Illinois, a town of about 5,000 people, a farming and coal mining town, like the first person to ever leave the town, to ever go anywhere and do anything. And my mom traveled the world over the course of the next 20, 25 years or so. First, tell me about, I asked her earlier, what were some of her favorite places? And she said that Germany was one. Tell me about Germany and why you love it so much. I don't know. Well, I taught in a German school, and I spoke German, and that was something I wanted to do. And I don't know, Germany sort of had a basic something that I liked. Now, you taught there immediately after World War II, and you lived in the town of Wiesbaden for five years where you taught. And now you and I, it was some, I think, Rage Against the Machine tour in 2010. You were visiting us in Europe, and you and I took a day trip to Wiesbaden, and it was really, really nice to see that place. But cut to maybe 10 years later, Prophets of Rage and I were playing in Wiesbaden, and our hotel was literally around the corner from the place where you had stayed for five years. And I went and visited and called you from there. Yes, that was nice. So always nice to return to Wiesbaden. Now, my experiences in Germany have been many and have been awesome from day one, uh, whether it was with Rage or with Audio Slave or my solo career or Prophets of Rage. The German audiences, especially there's two festivals called Rock im Park and Rock am Ring, which are these huge festivals where they just go absolutely bonkers for the different bands that I've been in. So I like Germany, too. Yeah, I like Deutschland. And, you know, we're part German. Like, I'm 50% Kenyan, 25% Italian, 12.5% Irish, and then the rest is some sort of German-English mix. Yes. All right, next country, Jamaica. Yeah, I like Jamaica. I always help Jamaican students in the U.S., and I went to Jamaica multiple times, and I would stay with the parents of people I knew. Now, I remember you going to Jamaica a few times when I was grown. I always thought maybe you had a secret boyfriend down there. No, I don't think so. 
<laughs> we went to Jamaica when I was 15 years old on a trip, which was really nice. But the most incredible part about that trip was on the way back. We were flying Air Jamaica back to Chicago. And over the PA system, I was 15 years old, and over the PA system came a voice that sounded exactly like Muhammad Ali. And that voice said, I am Muhammad Ali, and I am flying this airplane. But don't worry, because I'm the greatest at flying airplanes, too. I remember that. And then the voice said, I'm sure all of you want my autograph, so I'm going to come down the aisle and sign anything you want. And sure enough, it was Muhammad Ali. Now, I don't believe he was actually flying the plane. I believe he was just sitting up with the pilots in the cockpit. But the plane was well flown, so he could have been the greatest. Hard to know. But he did come down the aisle, and he signed my Air Jamaica ticket, and I was absolutely astounded. That's nice. Yes. All right. So our next country that we're going to talk about is a country by the name of Kenya. Mom, tell me about your Kenyan experiences. You are part Kenyan. That's right. So you go all the way back to the beginnings of people in Africa. That's right, where mankind originated. Isn't that nice? You know, they have the bones in the museum, in the National Museum in Kenya, like of the bones that Dr. Leakey found or whatever, the ones that sort of point to the fact that mankind started in East Africa. That's nice. My mom and dad met in Kenya in 1963, and my mom it was the same year that Kenya became independent. Uh, my family was involved in the Kenyan independence struggle. My great uncle is Jomo Kenyatta, who is the leader of that struggle and Kenya's first president. But my mom was there on the night of independence. And do you remember what happened on that night, Mom? Not really. Well, you've told me the story, and I remember it, so I'm going to share it if that's okay. You share it. Okay. So there's this big soccer stadium where it's after this long Mau Mau guerrilla struggle and a lot of intense negotiations, Great Britain has decided that they can no longer keep control of Kenya and they're going to have to turn it over to African rule. And rather than they make sort of bargain a deal, rather than have it fall into some sort of socialist Soviet influence, they make some sort of deal with Jomo Kenyatta that it's all going to work out and Kenya is going to become independent. But the actual night, this in the big soccer stadium there, the British flag has flown over Kenya, you know, for 50 years or however long it's been a colony. And the soccer stadium is filled with, you know, Africans and a few British dignitaries, but Jomo Kenyatta is there. The Mau Mau gorillas have come out of the forests to be there as well and are celebrated, you know, with the British soldiers looking at them side-eye. And at midnight, the lights go out in the stadium. Do you remember any of this, Mom? No. Okay, well, the lights go out in the stadium, and then at 12.01, the lights come back on, and the British flag is down, and the new Kenya flag is up, and everybody cheers, including you, and you reported that you were wearing a beautiful white dress, but it was rainy and muddy, and you got mud on your dress, and you were very disappointed. That was okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, let's go to our... I've only played one gig in Kenya. We were visiting family there, and it was like some coffee house where there was a band on stage, and I got up and shredded and then played a couple of Night Watchman songs, and no one had any idea what was going on. Next up, you said, why don't we go with... Spain. Now you taught, what my mom would do is she would, because she was a teacher, she would go and she would teach in other countries. So it was five years in Germany, a year in Spain, a couple years in Japan. Uh, but you were in Spain for a while and you said that was one of your favorite places. Yes. Why so? I don't know, because I could speak Spanish maybe. Mm -hmm. And you were there for about a year. Yes. Well, I've had some very good shows in Spain as well, especially in Basque country. They love my particular brand of rock and roll there. Yes. Yeah. All right. And the beaches there are lovely as well. All right. We're going to let's now during the 80s and early 90s, you made nine different peace missions to Russia and Cuba. 
So we're going to talk about both of them. So you went to Cuba or Russia when it was the Soviet Union. And I remember as you were taking Russian language lessons and learning the Cyrillic alphabet, uh, because you were interested in traveling to the Soviet Union. Yes. Can you tell me something about those travels? Well, I think people should be free to go anywhere, and nobody should put anything in their way. Yeah, and you went. Uh, I remember you taking like these trips down the rivers where you and these Soviet delegations would sort of discuss rather than what the governments of the countries were thinking, but rather what the people of the countries were thinking. We did that. We had a good time. I think you, there was some like boyfriend on that boat too. It was really some some shady business. You're like smoking. There's some photographs of you smoking cigarettes with a guy who was in like the band on the boat. Well, I don't remember that. Or so you say. So I say. <laughs> <laughs> I remember also like you went to Mongolia and you like were in a in a yurt sleeping in a yurt and drinking yak whiskey or some crazy thing like that. I guess. Yeah, you had good my mom was not much of a photographer. She had like an instamatic camera, so she would take these kind of instamatic photographs of these spectacular places where the photographs perhaps did not match the majesty of the things that were going on but you were like riding these little like horse like Genghis Khan war ponies around drinking yak whiskey and sleeping in a yurt I guess yeah, you, you, I, there's photographic evidence of that this is a union town a union town all down the line I'm Tom Morello and this is Tom Morello's Maximum Firepower. My uh, guest today is Mary Morello, my mom, the 98-year-old matriarch of the Morello family. So then Cuba is one of your favorite places in the world, and I know that you've been there a number of times. Because I'm a good communist. You are a good communist. So? <laughs> well, you want to tell me about... Now, One of the, I remember a couple of things when you went to Cuba... One of the things that Cuba is very much known for is their excellent medical facilities and whatnot. And they, uh, like during the pandemic, they sent doctors throughout Africa to help sort of with the pandemic. During Hurricane Katrina, they offered first responders and doctors to come help bail out New Orleans when um, George W. was slow on the trigger to help out there. Those requests were denied. But when you were there, you spent some time with the Chernobyl children, as they called them that they were children who had been affected adversely by the radiation leak at the Chernobyl nuclear plant, and they all came to Cuba where they could get the best medical care, and you spent some time with them. Yes. And that was nice with the kids. Uh, now, you and I have been to Cuba several times. Uh, the first time we were there for some conferences, it, we were there, uh, depending on what government's in power, we were there perhaps without the appropriate visas and having meetings and whatnot, and... Uh, we met Asata Shakur. Do you remember that? Yes. She's in exile there, and we were at like some backyard party, and all of a sudden I'm like, that's Asata. Holy shit. That was interesting. It was very interesting. There was also a time where Audio Slave played a show in Cuba. It was Audio Slave was the first American rock and roll band to ever play a show in the country of Cuba. Yes, and that was nice was nice and you were there for that one too and we had to spend four days the how they did it was you couldn't you can't like book a show in cuba if you're an american band because it's like not allowed so it was a cultural exchange and the u.s treasury department and the cuban ministry of culture brokered a deal uh so that the our part of the exchange was we would play a concert on the malacon which is kind of along the water there and their part of the deal was like for four days beforehand we would visit cultural sites and things like that so we went to this it used to be this like fancy you know billionaire's 
country club back in the days before the revolution, and that was this free jazz school. So we went and enjoyed jazz music. We jammed with musicians along the Malacan. There's some great rappers and, and whatnot, visited historical sites. And then, but we had no idea how many people might come to the show because there's not like the normal promoter apparatus there and we didn't know if anybody had ever heard of you know rage against the machine or Soundgarden or anything so my wife and i actually went out passed out flyers at local bars in havana like hey have you ever heard of rage or Soundgarden? well they've got a band together and uh you know chris cornell and he's very handsome yes they'll be playing some songs that, that you might be familiar with and it's on friday night on the malecon come on it's free and it turned out you know how many people came to the concert i don't i don't know it was seventy thousand people came to the concert oh my gosh it was quite a night. It was really like a pretty special night. We smashed the uh, rock and roll blockade of Cuba. It was wonderful. It was wonderful. Okay, so mom, I want to go back to when you were running your organization, Parents for Rock and Rap, which was uh, an organization which was a counter organization to the PMRC, the Parents Music Resource Center, that was uh, founded by Al Gore's wife and some, they were known as the Washington Wives, who were trying to censor rap music and heavy metal music and whatever musics they found objectionable. And at least one Midwestern parent stood up against them. That was you, and founded an organization called Parents for rock and rap, which at one point had members in 25 countries or something, members all over the United States to combat censorship. So mom, what was the impetus for your love of free speech and your quest to keep rock and rap music uncensored? Whoever made the rock music was talented and wanted people to hear it. Yes, and they were trying to stop that. Yes. Okay. So, but one of the interesting side effects of this was that you became friends with a lot of rappers who were in the news at the time for their music that the PMRC was attempting to censor. For example, like Two Live Crew, whose music was considered too dirty to be played on the radio or to get a sticker on it. And Ice-T, who as a, both as a rapper and as a member of the group Body Count, uh, was in the news regularly for his alleged controversial lyrics. Now, you became friends with Ice-T because you were on a bunch of radio shows together. So my mom was on, she was on Oprah, she was on CNN, she was on radio shows all the time defending rock and rap music, and she would sometimes appear on these programs with Ice-T. So when my mom came to visit me in Los Angeles and Ice-T's band Body Count uh, was playing at a club, she wanted to go to the show. You remember that? Yep. Okay. So we went to the show, I brought my mom to the show, and she was the only retired high school teacher at the show, and we were going to get into the show, waiting in line to get into the show, and when we were getting in, the guy who was like checking IDs, the security guy, made a snarky comment about a woman of your age and comportment uh, wanting to come into the body count show, and do you remember what you said to him? Yes. Do you want to tell everybody what it was? Show some respect, you dick. That's exactly what you said. And then we went into the show. Now, you were like, I want to be in the front row for this show because he was your friend of yours. And I'm like, you don't understand. At a body count show, there's a pit and it's going to be swirling around and lots of like sweaty men with their elbows flying. We said, I don't care, Tom. I want to be in the front row. So you were up against the railing at this club. It was a club show. It probably held about like 500 people, less than that, probably 300 people. And there was a big swirling pit and you were up against the railing. And I, it was my job to protect you. So I had like one hand on the railing on this side, one hand on the railing on this side, and it was taking all of the punishment. For Thank you. 
Well, <laughs> well it's, it was my pleasure, but maybe we could have watched. There's Ice-T. As we're watching this right now, Ice-T is actually on a commercial on TV in a meaning that the Matrix is real. So anyway, so that was one. And the, But then you visited Rage Against the Machine when we were on tour on Lollapalooza in 1993 in New Orleans. And do you remember what happened at that show? No. I'll jog your memory. The night before, some of my bandmates were out on the town. Tim and Brad were out on the town. And there were some New Orleans police that were harassing a homeless man. Does any of this ring a bell? A little bit. A little bit, yeah. So they were harassing a homeless man, and I believe that Timmy said something like, don't you have something better to do than harass this homeless man? And they arrested him. And then Brad said, what are you doing? That was unfair. And they arrested him. And they arrested the two friends that they were with, too. Does any of this starting to ring a bell? A little bit. This is a long time ago. This is like 30 years ago. And your memory is pretty good for me in 98 years old. But I'm going to tell you what happened next. So they arrested those guys, and they spent the night in jail, and we had to do some like weird New Orleans bribery to get them out. We had a show the next day at like 1 in the afternoon, being the first band on stage at Lollapalooza. And you were there, so they were arrested. We got them out of jail that night. We're getting ready to play the show now. Rage Against the Machine is, is the first band on stage. So everybody who's there, there's been no music until now. And we're about to come on stage, and you as you have done many times, we're getting set to introduce the band. But you did not just introduce the band. As you stepped to the microphone, you delivered a message to the children of New Orleans. Do you remember what that message was? Yes. Okay, I'm going to ask you. And so my mom gets to the microphone, and she leads, she tells the story of what happened the night before, and then she leads the crowd in this chant. Fuck the New Orleans police. That's exactly what you said. And you said it about 25 times in a row. And you led the crowd in a chant of it. And you were very happy that you were not arrested and dragged away. Um, And we were all very surprised that you were not arrested and dragged away. But all the same, it was a very Mary Morello heroic moment. Thank you. (laughs) And then lastly, one of the things that uh, my mom, in her travel ambition, first let's do Japan, because you did spend some time teaching in Japan during this. Now, this is during the Korean War, right? Yes. On a U.S. military base in Japan. Yes. In Sendai. Yes. And so give me some impressions or memories of your time teaching the, I guess it's the children of U.S. officers. Yes. And so what was your time like in Japan? I like Japanese society, so I was at home. Well, I've had some good shows in Japan through the years with different bands, including playing a Mount Fuji festival, which was in a typhoon. I know. It was a big typhoon, and it was like it was Foo Fighters, Rage, Chili Peppers on that particular day, and... As we were playing, the typhoon was rising. So there's a steam and Mount Fuji's in the background and a typhoon is coming down. I think the Chili Peppers didn't get to finish their set. I think so. It was an exciting day all, all the same. Okay, so then lastly, Mom, you wanted to, as a single woman of modest means, travel the world. So you wanted to like literally go around the world at one point, right? Yes. And so what vehicle did you use to go around the world? I don't remember. A steamer. Oh, is that what I did? Yes, you went, you like booked, not like a passenger ship, but you booked passage on like a steam, like a working vessel. Well, that was good. Yes, and you stopped in, along the way, you stopped in many exotic countries, like Indonesia and places like that. Yes. And do you have any memories from that round-the-world steamer travel? No, except I liked it, and I liked the places I went. And you said in some places there was danger, there was some like guerrilla activity in one place, and so you had to like not go up a particular river or something? Yes. Anyway, 
Well, Mom, you have many, many adventures. And at 98 years old, I wish you many more. Thank you. Well, Mom, it is always, uh, you are a lifelong fighter uh, for social justice and against censorship and probably the best hype person that any band has ever had. Thank you. Well, we appreciate you and thank you so much for being on the program. Any farewell message for all the listeners out there? Go after whatever you want and see that you get it. There you go. All right. Well, thank you for those final words. Mary Morello, it's great being your son and great having you on the show. And I just appreciate you so much. You know this, but I appreciate you so much. My mom was always, like I said, the only one, you know, the only basement in town that would allow my band to play. When I moved to Hollywood, she, you know, with an Ivy League degree in my pocket to go play heavy metal music, she was like, cool. See you at Thanksgiving, uh, and has been totally supportive my entire life and career. And for all of you parents out there, one more reminder that a solid baseline for parenting is uh, unconditional love. And go to every one of their Little League games. You never missed one, Mom, and I appreciate that, too. Thank you. Right. All right. This has been uh, Tom Morello's Maximum Firepower. Mary Morello has been my guest. Thank you very much. Until next time, brothers and sisters, take it easy, but Take it. Let foes of justice tremble. This has been Tom Morello's Maximum Firepower. Hear this episode again or listen to past shows right now on the SiriusXM app. Search Maximum Firepower. Oh.